we're going to catch up with uh, one of the great blokes of uh, Victorian racing, I guess you could say, Cosy Kenny Keys. Oh, Kenny. For a bit of a chat. Legend of Cranbourne and I reckon the king of King Island. That's how they put the king in there. How are you, Ken? Yeah, good, thanks, Sean. That's good. This time of year, actually, must bring back some lovely memories for you with uh, the King Island racing on, because were you born there or did you grow up there? No, born there, and it was uh, a little, well, yeah, part of their racing was good. Now, yeah. I, so was, were your family involved in racing at all? Oh, Sean, over there, if you didn't play cricket, <laughs> um, you got a horse. Um, no one's really involved other than that time of the year, that makes sense. Yeah. So they we do it. We all had a pony. So it's, the, the King Island thing basically goes from the start of December till the end of January. That's like an eight week season. That's correct. Yeah. Yep. So then, then they just go back out to the paddock for the rest of the time. Just tip them out and then bring them back in for the next year. That's how it works. Yep. Now, so Kenny, how old were you when you first started? Did you ride or did you just start training? What did you do? Ah. <laughs> uh, you know, you rode, but not in races. Um, you packed around the farm paddocks and yeah. around the track down again and pretended you were a jockey, but that was about as close as we got. So. Ken, it's, it's Matt Nevitt here. Before you got seriously involved with, with the horses there in King Island, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you did quite a bit beforehand. You, you went and got a trade, is that right? Yeah, I was a carpenter. Yeah. Um, not very good at it, I might add. But uh, <laughs> it kept us going for many years, yeah. You, you must have been all right. You, you travelled around the world uh, as a builder, didn't you? Yeah, we sort of spent a fair bit of oh, six months or so in China and uh, over Australia, and yeah, it kept us going. It's good. How long were you in China for? Um, six months, seventy nine, eighty. What were you What were you building there? Uh, motels. Yeah, it was just when it was starting to open up. How did was there a language issue, Ken, or were all the crew you were working with all English speaking? Um, there was about 12, uh, 15 of us, uh, although all Aussies. Um, there's interpreters on site, but uh, you learnt the necessary words pretty quick. So how old were you at this stage, Ken? I think I had 20, I think. 20. 20. Well, what's it like for a 20-year-old Australian to be building motels in China? <laughs> what's that like? So it's pretty daunting. Um, I don't know, after three months, you got R&R in Hong Kong, but I didn't take mine because I knew if I got to Hong Kong, I wasn't going back. <laughs> were, you, were you building them in the city, Ken, or were they in suburbia or country areas? Where were they? They were in a place called Guaylin, um, which is now a massive tourist destination, but uh, at the time it was just a very pretty place. Probably a very uh, major glasshouse mountains sort of area, if you could probably along, along the river. So it was pretty spectacular. You ever want to go back to China? I'm not so sure, but I would like to go. <laughs> I would like to go back and have a look at what we did. Yeah. Yeah, you might develop a bit of a cough if you go back at the moment, Kenny. Yeah, we'll give up a bit. Now, when you came back here, you started training King Island, of course, and then came across to uh, the Cranbourne or around the Cranbourne area. How did that come about? Was there an owner who lured you over, or what happened? Yeah, that was basically the proof of it. Um, a local stock agent organised for a horse to come over there to me and um, it was pretty fast in King Island standards and we won everything and uh, I believed I could train and he believed I could train and uh, so we were carpentering at the time and things weren't that flash so we decided to come over and private train for them which was a, a mob called Rangeview Stud where better boys to stand um, so that's how I got here um, and then 
eventually I realised that they weren't going to take us anywhere, so we just started on our own. Must have been hard kicking off on your own. Well, it certainly was, um, especially with uh, very little tackers. Um, and Louise, you know, had to clean them up and we had to just survive. It was just an interesting time. What was the first horse who gave you a kick along, Ken? Ah, uh, pretty obvious. Saloon rule. Mm. Um, I think it was my first city winner, and she happened to win on Oaks Day and down the straight. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty major event, that's for sure. That was the Byron Moore, wasn't it, at 100 to 1? One and fifteen, Sean. <laughs> but, yeah, that was the Byron Moore stakes. Yeah. yeah. And you have a little nibble that day? Well, that's, obviously, we didn't have much money, but I had saved up myself and my friend partner was in it, and I had 40 a win and 60 a place. I've never seen so much money. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a lovely story when you were clocking up one morning and you thought, this stopwatch is kaput. <laughs> it's, it's something wrong with it. Yeah, I love this story. It's true. That's the sad part. Um, this was the old Cranbourne race course, so there was no lighting of that in those days, and there was a light over towards the uh, local motel, and that was just about 600 metre marker. And uh, I was working with another friend and trainer who had a horse that he thought went pretty quick, and we'd be clocking him and running it, you know, clocking 32, we thought, which was kidding ourselves. <laughs> it turned out that uh, one was the loon rule, another one was and I do remember one morning there prior to that they were working together and I think I said to you because they both looked like crabs and I said if we can get 1500 for the pair we're probably ahead aren't we and we laughed and said yeah and they both went on to win group races God we're good judges Kent oh we were fantastic but what's amazing what happens when you don't know what you're doing <laughs> ignorance is bliss isn't it <laughs> Uh, See, uh, we, we, we couldn't get back, uh, jockeys to ride them in those days because we were just no ones, a pair of us. Uh, Michael Fox is another trainer. Yep. And uh, today, a great friend. But, um, yeah, so we're just using track riders that were there and they told us they went fast, but we didn't know much more than that. <laughs> now, Saloon Real provided you with that wonderful joy, but gee, Blue Diamond Day, and I remember seeing you afterwards, when the gates opened and she went up in the air, everything went out the back door. Yeah, it was quite extraordinary when you think the build-up and this is a, my first experience of good racing. He won her first couple, as you know, uh, and then the places in the preludes and we were, I think, second favourite to Quartzer. We knocked back some massive offers for her and uh, the worst we could see happening was running second to Quartzer. Well, bugger me, did. That's when you stayed in the garret or reared up and used to start by a long way. What were you oh. thinking leading into the Blue Diamond, Ken? How, like, how confident were you? Oh, we were... We believed, um, you know, at worst we were going to run second and we thought we could have given Courts a run, but uh, we'd been had a bit of luck along the way. The Freedmans at the time had a very good uh, two-year-old that had gone amiss called Confederate Lady. So we were, the pecking order was dropping, so we were getting closer to the top. So we did, gave ourselves a genuine chance. I remember afterwards there's a, a bar near the, the tie-up stalls out the back and I saw you there and just said, come over and sit down, don't talk. I think I went and got you a double scotch and put it in front of you. And then it took a while, and you finally looked up, and I'll never forget you said, this is going to take a while to get over this. <laughs> You're right about that, Sean. Um, yeah, sort of a lot of fun when out of the game pretty quickly, that's for sure. Because, yeah, there was the build-up, the anticipation, a good horse, and you were denied even just a chance. That was the, that was the heartbreak, yeah. wasn't it? 
That was. Um, but the good part about that horse, um, it did teach us a lot about, well, racing certainly and the personalities involved, but also, you know, when you're kicking off, if you haven't had a good horse, you don't know what one is. And we were very lucky to experience that. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had a yard sick from day one, which has really helped, been helpful. You might not have won a Group 1, Ken, but you've had some other good horses along the way. And Rich Enough's obviously another one of those. Um, tell us a little bit about that horse and, and what it means to you. Oh, he's pretty special, obviously, um, because we bred him ourselves. And, uh, you know, we've watched the whole journey of him. And now to see what he's doing at start is really you know, exciting. Um, yeah, I think it was, once again, a bit stiff in a Group 1 with him in the guineas. Um, but... Geez, somewhere along the line still might happen. Um, but he was a horse that had unlimited ability, and when there was the stud got involved, uh, they sort of wanted to return pretty quick, and uh, his best was w- well ahead of him. I've got to say, uh, his uh, track riders kicked on a bit, Charlotte Littlefield. <laughs> yeah, Charlotte loved him. She, she really enjoyed riding him, and um, yeah, she was great help at the time, for sure. Now, Ken, you were one of the first to target the Tasmanian yearling sales. Did that come about through inside knowledge or budget? Budget. Very <laughs> much budget. <laughs> uh, um, yes, like, uh, they weren't, it wasn't a fashionable place to buy yearlings in those days, but what we had generally recognised was they were growing a really sound horse. Um, that was at the time when, you know, a lot of studs were using steroids, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we was always able to buy a very sound horse out of Tassie and... Uh, you know, and a nice type. So we actually got a bit lucky there for a few times. Mellow Chateau was a handy one for memory? Yes, and probably my favourite horse out of there. And Mellow was very good, and he bred a Premier Cup winner. Um, But it was like a carousel. He he ran the third to Sydney Cup and over the jumps and matched nearly 800,000, so he was a beauty. What did you look for when you went to Tassie? I mean, because the pedigrees, they weren't the reduced choices in those days, and you probably couldn't have afforded them anyway. You'd have to go on no. type, wouldn't you? Type, yes, for sure. But a little bit of theory that, uh, you know, if you're winning races, it's, it's hard to win a race anyway, way. So you look for families that continuously produce winners, um, and they usually uh, find one better one out of the group. That type, for sure. Now, Ken, when you go to the sales, is it true you would stalk Bart Cummings and follow him around, try to find out what he looked for? That is true, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, try to build knowledge. But, you know, you're such an entourage that no one knew who belonged to who, so they just accepted you as someone without knowing. And so, yeah, we just, just waste a bit of four, three or four hours and just, uh, you know, just watch and look and listen. Um, and he had George Smith and those people with him, so, uh, and they, didn't know I was no one, so they just would tell me things as well. So it was a good learning experience. So, so Bart was more than happy for you to sort of observe him and learn from him? Bart wouldn't know me from Bart. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, it was just, I was just part of that group. Yeah. You know, no one knew me. Yeah. Kenny, what was the best thing you picked up out of that? Because like the, those names, George Smith was a legend at, at picking yearlings. Yeah, uh, probably hard to explain, probably hard to answer, but what I do know is that I, 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 you have to look at your yearlings. Um, you know, we, Louise, my wife, and I spend a lot of time at the sales, all sales, and just we look at as many as we can, whereas these days a lot of people just go on the pedigree and they can sell, uh, whereas we'll buy what we like, and over the years it's hard, as I say, hard to explain, but um, we've been a bit lucky along the 
way because doing that, you know, individually looking at them. Cosy and I were sort of talking a little bit about that earlier in the program, Ken, about how trainers go about narrowing down the horses that they, they like. How, how challenging is it to go through a huge catalogue of horses and, and then narrow them down, especially when you are actually looking at them on top? Uh, one of the reasons I work it is um, we just don't necessarily look at the page initially, uh, just at type, and we give them a rating number. Yep. And then, uh, you know, there's a particular number that we get more interested in, you know, the high, obviously. But you know, then we'll go back to our room after inspections and compare books and we um, then have general discussion and use the arguments about which we should target. But... Uh, it's worked pretty well for us. If there's one that you're really keen on and you like, and then you go back and have a look and realise that its pedigree is not all that attractive, do you do you put a line through it, or do you are you still open to taking on horses like that? Oh no, definitely open to taking them. Yeah. If they take your eye and you like them, you know they don't know their pedigree. Yeah. Um, and you know we bought. I remember doing that uh, when uh, we bought. Uh, it was one, probably the best horse I've ever trained, Soul Patch. We bought him out of the Tassie sale and. He was by Seamus Award then, but no one really recognised Seamus Award. And, uh, yeah, he was just a cracking type. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah, and he still is on my outstart. He's um, he was the most unlucky horse yeah. Yeah, we've raced. Yeah, I really want to ask you about Soul Patch. And Keys is with us here on Big V Racing. And, Kenny, you mentioned Soul Patch. Uh, he was one of my favourite horses. I don't know why. I just I was really taken by him on the racetrack. I think he won a Vars. And from memory... I think he finished, he was a place getter in the Australian Guineas, which Alligator Blood won, uh, Alligator Blood won, I think from memory, you, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but, um, yeah, well, he, he was struck down by injury at a pretty young age, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, he's, uh, incredibly unlucky. Um, yeah, you're right, he ran third in the Australian Guineas to Alligator Blood. Uh, to this day, I felt we were only to win that race if you watched the replay on the top of the straight. Um, but unfortunately, he just didn't keep coming and um, that was one thing that he had, he was an uh, incredibly strong finisher and uh, subsequently after the race we did uh, done a suspensory pretty significantly um, all over. Now Ken you mentioned uh, you rated him as probably one of your best horses, I'll throw up another name Flushed <laughs> He wasn't my favourite mare, I've got to say Spanish Reef sort of stroke gets oh, there yes. a bit now um, but Flushed was a beauty she was by one of those unfashionable sires in Reading, um, and we had a lot of luck with them. Um, but no, she was an absolute beauty. And once again, the injury is such a hard part of this industry. Um, she did attend and also, um, you know, as a five-year-old, but she was all ahead of her at that time. So. You had, as you said, you had, you had success with the Reddings. Reading won the Derby, and like a lot of yeah. people will be looking for things by sprinters, you've gone for ones by a Derby. Well, you had a lot of success for them. Well, once again, it's about the budget, um, you know, especially in those times. Um, you know, no one wanted to pay the big bucks for those sort of horses. Another breed we had a bit of luck with was Bonhomie or Bonhomie. Mm. So same sort of thing. Um, you know, and the best races are those middle-distance races. So it sort of, it sort of always surprised me what people are looking to buy, you know, like as in. Uh, but patience is a hard part of this game. You mentioned Spanish Reef. She won the Revet Series final. Is she one of your favourites? Yeah, she was Group One placed, um, one Group Two, um, you know, probably one close on seven hundred thousand stake. Must be cost, I think, ten grand, twelve grand out of oh, the sales up in Queensland. Uh, can't remember. It was a dispersal sale. I can't remember. 
But, uh, uh, yeah, no, she was a good mare. Took a, took a while, though. She was a pretty ordinary-looking horse, um, but very sound. Um, and she was by... I can't remember the showing now. Sorry. Lope de, uh, de Vega? Uh, yeah, yeah, Lope de Vega. Uh, and she, uh, she was just a really good, strong horse. And she's... I saw her first foal at Rosemont has bought her, and um, they got a lovely schnitzel foal filly this year for the first one, so we're interested to see it. It goes. It's not an easy game at all, the racing game, but when you look back on your career, Ken, with the number of good horses that you've had, you must wonder how you actually haven't been able to win that Group 1. Yeah, I think we've got four seconds <laughs> yeah. in them, but we just haven't got there. Um, yeah, no, it's pretty cruel. Yeah. Like, you know, other people seem to get them their first crack. Yeah. Uh, uh, but look, no, I, uh, I said that uh, I might give it away when I group, win a Group 1, and then I thought decided, well, Maybe I'll just get Casey involved and maybe uh, we might have some more luck. So it's all up to Casey now, so it's all good. Now, Ken, I'm going to mention the name of another one. Now, I reckon when wedding anniversaries come around, there'd be a, a little toast go up for light enough. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's a beauty. Um, well, he was a beauty. Um, once again, out of this uh, wonderful mare, Hot Enough, which was the mother of uh, Rich Enough, and... Uh, Right, and that was one out of her, so, you know, she's just been an absolute marvel brood mare. She's, um, she's got the last foal on her now. Um, uh, she's got a famous award yielding, um, and she's starting to show age with her pregnancy, so now there's no more now. She's all retired. But uh, when you think she was a mare that I paid, I think, at the time, 40 grand for, and I couldn't sell her, and I was dirty on the world, and she won an ordinary maiden at Werribee, and after that she's probably... You know, who knows what she's generated for us. Mm. Now, to win your own your hometown cups, terrific. And you've been fortunate. Blue Collar Jack, Boom and Zoom, you won two Cranbourne Cups. They must be nearly as good as a Group 1. Well, I reckon I've had a few Group 1 events that are just not named that. And that's, <laughs> you're right. Those couple of races are, especially with the people who are your friends and owners, etc., etc. Um, there's nothing more special. Kenny, I was reading somewhere as well across the journey, you've You've kept a pretty small circle, is that right? You've sort of always hung out with and kept the, the similar sort of group of friends across the last, well, ever since you moved to the mainland? Yeah, pretty well. Not much has changed, um, except for, you know, we moved properties a few times. But uh, no, our basis, I don't think it's changed much at all, to be honest. Now, Ken, what's it feel like when you go to the dock and he stamps your papers and said that uh, <coughs> you're off <laughs> and <laughs> you walk around... For six months, thinking your uh, your papers are stamped, and then to find out, nah, nothing's wrong at all. You're okay, misdiagnosed. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was a pretty scary time, and more so for the family. Um, it was nothing organised. It probably didn't matter because we had nothing then anyway. Um, but yeah, it was given the lung uh, oh, cancer they diagnosed, and uh, and I was crook, but not from that. But it was just a virus, as it turned out, as a virus of the lung. Um, they put us in hospital to take the lung out, and. The specialist or surgeon decided to take a specimen before they took the whole one out, and that's when I got the whole career. So uh, to say relief is an understatement. So back at the, the very stage when you were incorrectly diagnosed, I guess you can say, with having lung cancer and I guess being given a, a death sentence, like what did you do for the next few weeks and months? How did you did you like did you live your life differently? What what, what yeah what what happened? <laughs> it was probably a blur, to be quite honest now, but. Um, we probably decided that uh, you never know when something's going to happen and we took a lot more punts then after that as far as property and 
mm. things like that. And um, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, we, we 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 regathered and regrouped and went on again. It's all right. I tell you what, I bet you did a few cartwheels and the blokes put them all clear up. It's in that correct way, Kenny. I'd love to meet that uh, young, uh, he was a young uh, specialist that's just out of uni. And uh, it was actually a disease called boot, uh, bronchial pneumonia or something. But anyway, uh, he was the one that sort of uh, changed it all. Well, I had a similar experience with my dad many years ago. He went to the doc and he came out and he's sort of looking a bit white. And we said, what's wrong? He said, I've been given six months to live. We thought, not real good. Anyway, uh, we said, okay. And about three years later, the old man's reading the paper and he's lost it. We said, what's wrong? He said, remember the doctor who gave me six months to live? He said, yeah, he said, his funeral's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and the other bloke, <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> And the old bloke, he drove us mad for years still. <laughs> now, Kenny, the aeroplane game, tell us about this, because you got a horse out of this, didn't you? <laughs> about eight grand. Yeah, yeah so that's probably get the question. We did have a lot of money. Um, there was a, well, uh, I don't know how you explain it to anyone that don't know, Sean. Um, a bit so, like pyramid selling, isn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, it really was. You would sell a seat, and if you sell enough seats, you got to go and pile it, and you got all the money on the way through. Well, my friend... Laurie Owens and myself um, got through twice, and I think we got about eight grand out of it. So he sent me off to the yielding sales, and that's actually what we bought the balloon rule with. Um, so <laughs> that was our start. I'd love to read your autobiography. <laughs> now, over the years, though, and again, probably budget was the constraint, you only probably bought, what, seven or eight yearlings a year? You didn't buy a lot, did you? No, at best, probably, I'd probably give that basically in fourth, and it wouldn't be many. Mm. Now, one horse we haven't mentioned, I reckon you'd give a pat to, bring something. Oh, yeah, he's, he's, I've got a little paddock down the farm, and he's, uh, you know, um, won a Bendigo Cup, and he was a uh, uh, horse with a real good future, and, um, and just there was a lot more to come, and once again, that, uh, that basic rate of racing comes into it. Um, but no, he's, uh, we've got a little paddock down there, Blue Collar Jack, and something and carousel in, so he got the good paddock. Now, we we see over on the uh, the island these days, there's still the Keys is training there. Uh, the, they brothers, cousins, what's the story, Ken? Yeah, um, my youngest brother, Robert, or Codge, as he's known, um, he basically farms over there as well um, in the contracting business, but no, he's he's done extremely well in the local training side of it. Um, and it's interesting, the whole family know that ground in racing, that he's doing that and doing extremely well when, it, when he's, you know, when they have the season. And my brother in Tassie, um, John, he's, uh, based at Devonport or Wesley Vale and he's sort of involved as well. So there's no rule to this game. It's just, you know, if you've got the bug, you get it. Must have made you feel good to see what the boys from Ballarat did to help kick on King Island this year when they were struggling for horses. Oh, I was. Unbelievably uh, great gesture by everyone involved. Um, I, I, my worry with it is, of course, that I hope it's not a one-off. I don't know how it can be, be going, but like all the smaller country places, the problem is lack of people, and I don't mean tourists, but young people doing the the work for when they're quiet. I think they can uh, get the horses there, but it's getting the uh, people to work and when they're there, just not the the population base like they used to be. So. Hopefully, something resolves. It has a great ability to regenerate itself, King Island, so it'll work out. 
Well, it's interesting. We have training programs for apprentice jockeys and snappers and so forth. Maybe they could work something or they go over from the working holiday for a month or whatever or uh, you know, the work experience thing and help out. Oh, look, there's so many things that racing authorities could do and should do. Um, but they've got to sort of decide that they want these country meetings to keep happening because they're, I think they're a integral part of our industry. Um, not everyone starts off a call field or wherever. Um, mm. Everyone grows into something, you know, so... I think uh, there has to be a pathway. Uh, I, I really do. In King Island, I've been lucky enough to go there, beautiful place, and uh, my mate Howard, the bookie, said to me, you don't lock your car because no one will knock it off. They can't get off the island. You don't even lock your house. <laughs> You're, he's right. He's <laughs> I couldn't right. believe it. He said, I went away and come back and somebody left a slab on the kitchen table. And said, well, he said, I, I popped in a couple of weeks ago. Why do you want to lift that slab I owed you there? <laughs> yeah, no, I hope it never loses that... Um, yeah, that, that's the beauty of that play, or the island, uh, um, and we've, we've, we've lose that in, in life, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully they don't. Well, tip, and, tip and neighbourhood watch will be the best you've ever struck there, Kenny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't do much about doing that one. They'd know what you've been up to. <laughs> These days, how many horses in work? Um, we sort of sit around the 25, 26. Mm-hmm. Um, we try and turn over pretty quickly. Um because that's our only hope of getting a, a, a new good one. But, uh, yeah, so that's our number. We, we're breeding a few ourselves now, obviously using both stallions. Um, there's really a lot of enjoyment now. It's in, if Casey does the muck, all the work, and I just watch. watch. Yeah, you've, you had that par- partnership up and going for a couple of years now. How's it How's it all going? Is, is, oh, it, is it working the way you hoped it would two years ago? No, well, we haven't won the group one yet. but uh, um, <laughs> You'll get but, there. Well, no, no, um, it's going terrific. Um, look, look, this is a young person's game. Um, Casey's got the energy and the enthusiasm, you know, uh, uh, which is required. I think people, you know, really re- need to recognise that. It's, um, you know, because there's a lot of social media that uh, Spinosaurs struggle with. Um, and, no, no, I think she's doing a fantastic job, and I just can give her more advice that I was not able to have. Was was Casey always destined to, to follow in that path? Well, we tried to avoid it. Um, we made her <laughs> go off and be a career. She was a nurse, yeah. but wasn't much interested in it. Um, and just came back and it's, it's never been anything else she's going to do. Yeah. Ken, when you look back over your career, what's the first moment that pops into your head that is either the most satisfying, the biggest thrill, whatever? Oh, interesting question. Um Satisfying. Satisfying. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think... I just, can I just say to generalise it? When you can mix it with the likes of Lee Friedman and, and et cetera, et cetera, and I, we've never been scared to take anyone on if we think our horse is good enough, I think if you meet them and beat them, not necessarily beat them, but just compete on good terms with them, it's pretty satisfying. You know, like, um, uh, just, you know you can do the job. So you, have, you just grow in confidence in your own ability. Yeah, well, mate, you're a, I'm proud to say you're a mate and a fantastic bloke mm. and uh, always have been. You've never changed. Thanks, Sean. We're just a couple of desperate, Kenny. <laughs> He's waiting for you to compliment him back <laughs> nah, as well, Kenny. Nah, He's nah, nah, hanging nah. there waiting. <laughs> hey, uh, before that you go, there's another horse I want to ask you about who returns to the races this weekend. From memory as well, this horse had a massive spruik on it when it began its career a couple of years ago. Win some. Yeah, sure did. I made that comment this morning. Um, it was 
probably justified at the time. Um, you know, the big Hong Kong offers come and all the rest of it. And once again, we do. We wanted such a we want a good horses, so it's hard to sell when you finally get one. Yeah. Um, but no, the world looked uh, pretty rosy for him, and then like everything, we keep the things we common denominator. This one was a win 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 problem, so he um, he had the operation. Um, and I don't believe they're ever as good after that, but um, he had so much ability that I still think he's uh, a chance in his racing races. So we're yep. uh, looking forward to Saturday. And uh, I noticed Craig knew it. It's been a good combination, you and Froggy, over the years, hasn't it? It has. Um, yeah, I think uh, I've always been... Like on you, I, like, I like sort of having the one rider if I can. Um, you know, I'd, I'd prefer he lived on this side of town, though. But... Uh, no, no, he rides. He, he rides exceptionally well for us, and is always, you know, quite aggressive, which uh, seems to suit us. Our lot. Um, no, the combination working pretty well. Well, Ken, great to catch up and have any arm with you today. We really appreciate it, and uh, good luck. And let's hope that I reckon you won a Group One already when you you come back from the dead. That's for a start. When the bloke <laughs> yeah, stamped your right. papers. I just tell a quick story before you go, Sean. Yep. Um, we ran third in the uh, Sydney Cup with like carousel and uh, the family was well, pretty well our horse the family so we're all there and we're yelling and screaming on uh, uh, the idiots and uh, the cameramen all thought we'd won it they didn't realise how important that was <laughs> <laughs> but anyway it was great great talking to you guys oh terrific Kenny good luck have a wonderful tw- 2023 mate thank you cheers good on you Thanks, Kenny Ken. yeah that was great Cosy to catch up with great bloke you know him a lot better than I do but he's, sound, he's a terrific bloke and he's a great trainer as well